All right, y'all, if you are looking for warm fuzzies to curl up with for Christmas, this may not be the episode for you. But if you want a more enriching story for the Christmas story and a more enrichment for God's goodness and even more reason to celebrate, stick around. This episode is going to take us on a journey from Rome to Egypt and to Jerusalem and Bethlehem and back again. And this is Quirks of Creation. everybody and welcome back to another episode of quirks of creation i'm jess holmes and here's elise and we're here we made it we made it rumble tech difficulties all of that not gonna hold us back that's right obviously elise this is a very important episode you have to share with us tonight because everything that could go wrong did go wrong and we're still here we're still here Yay. Thank goodness. Yeah. No pressure. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. Feeling the Christmas spirit. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I like, I do like the Christmassy background you've got going for us this week. This was beautiful. Nice job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought it'd be fun to get us, you know, a little bit in the spirit, even though this might be like a low key depressing episode. It, It might be, or it's just like, I just think this story is fascinating in that it's terrible, but good to know kind of way. It gives us greater context for things that were happening at the time. Yes, exactly. So that's my whole point uh, in this story. So originally I was going to talk about the Magi and the star and King Herod, but as I got into more of the research with Herod, I realized that this story is so politically complex and this guy is fascinating in a truly terrible way. And I didn't want to cut out any parts of his story in order to make it all fit. And I didn't want to not do justice to the Magi and the star. So (laughs) I told Jess late last night that I was going to mix everything up and just do this. I love it. She's flexible. Here Here we are. (laughs) Um, Also, I do want to make it clear that, you know, it, it is Christmas time and our eyes should be fixed on Jesus. And we as Christians celebrate Christmas to focus on the birth of Jesus and God sending his son as the Messiah as promised. And then um, two weeks ago, I think we, or maybe three, oh gosh, I don't know, but just talked about the prophecies in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled them and the astronomical and outrageous odds and what those looked like. I think my mind just like shut off at, after some of those numbers because it was like, not real. And... <laughs> Does not compute. So at some point you get to a number that's too big that your your brain can't compute it. Like we're not quantum computers, so that's, that's right. just too much. It was, but it was so it was so cool. And so this, I mean, we'll touch on that a little bit, but I would think that was a really good start into our Christmas season, just to again more enrichment for for all that's going on. So, um. I also want to say that I need you all to bear with me because I'm going to go through the timeline and talk about Herod's character, but um, it's 
it's going to seem a little all over the place, but I'll bring it all back together. I promise. So I believe in there, you guys. (laughs) I like it. Thanks. Um, So the question I always have when I pick a topic is like where to start. Fair. Because with history, you can pick an area to discuss and then you can take it back a little bit so that it gives it more context, but then you can take it back some more and some more and make more connections and keep going back and then keep going forward. And uh, so that's always like the uh, question I have, I guess. Right. It's easy to get lost down all of these rabbit trails and it's like, oh, I like this idea or this idea. This is literally my problem whenever I research anything sciencey. Because yeah. I'm just like, I want to say all the things and just can I absorb all of human knowledge, please? <laughs> yeah. And then there's that. And then there's the time limit, too, because it's like I could research this for a year and still feel like I don't know everything. It does give me context for how people get siloed into their areas of expertise because yeah. you want you want to know all of the things and one person doesn't have enough time to know all of the things. All of the things, exactly. And to make all of the connections and then to, to have something so distant in the past and still right. make it relevant to today, you can kind of just get lost in doing that. So I think... I kept this <laughs> narrower, <laughs> so we'll see. But um, let's start with the Bible, right? Because that's always a good, that's a good place to start. I love that you're starting with the Bible as your archaeological text. Most people don't do that, right? Most people don't don't take that to into account. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that here because we can. Yeah, yeah. Um. So the Gospel of Matthew, of course, gives us the story of the wise men and the star and King Herod. And I'm actually going to kind of start at the end of that story and we'll work our way back. Then we'll go back and then we'll come forward again. Yeah? Okay. I like it. So we have Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph they departing means the wise men. Right. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or older, two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Oh, well, that was depressing. Yeah. So that's a hard part of the story, obviously, because it's awful and terrible and not the focus, but right. it is a part of this story. And Herod is a part of this story. Actually, Herod and his offspring are a part of the yeah. New Testament. Um, so you have Herod the Great, which is who we are talking about. Mm-hmm. 
Herod Antipater, who was his son, who, um, and then his grandson's also mentioned. We'll get into all of that in a bit, but yeah, we'll start. Now we're going to jump back a little ways. Right. I like that as just setting the stage because I, that is the first time, especially if you're a young Christian, that you hear of King Herod and are given a context for what is happening politically during this time. Yes, exactly. And I like... I like that when I read my Bible. So I, I don't know if anybody else does this, but like when I'm reading the Bible, I like to know kind of what's happening in the world historically. Yes. Oh my gosh, me too. Just sets that foundation, that little touchstone where you're like, oh, this is, this is where they're at. This is where the world is at. Gives more, again, more richness, more, more of that to the story. It, it's more me instead of just understanding it as like a legend, you understand it for what it was historically. Right. Yes, exactly. And helps give you um, clarity into like culture a bit too, mm-hmm. all of that good stuff. So um, if I didn't make it clear, there aren't a lot of good things to say about Herod. So I mean, fair. I don't know if there'll be any kids listening. I'm not going to go into huge detail about anything, but just some discretion, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, we're kind of, talking about some um rough yeah. things tonight that this isn't the one for the kiddos right right because yeah not all of his actions were great yeah spoiler alert <laughs> if you haven't read the bible yet uh i do just want to point out whiskey biz <laughs> says 32 people are watching and there are only nine likes the math ain't mathin so that means you guys need to go like and hug that subscribe button right now yeah. while you're thinking about it we appreciate it we appreciate you guys because y'all are awesome and you guys help keep the lights on so right. you want to keep having Thank the you. show help us out right hit it you're there just do it shia LaBeouf. just do it yeah oh my gosh I, I need a soundboard that has shia labeouf on it just make your oh. dreams come true do by it. listening to more quirks of creation yes exactly <laughs> goals yeah (laughs) so with this most of what we know comes from our boy josephus go figure go figure go figure um and josephus is actually the one who titled him herod the great not necessarily because he was great but because there were so many herods that followed after him that this title kind of distinguished him from the rest was of he great like good or great as in like large or you know just i think like great like in like yes great great yeah like oldest is in the first mm. of the herodian line and great like he did do some good things great things but the good and the bad don't balance out i don't it's think it's like history is complicated or something yeah people are complicated and this guy definitely was one of them so y'all can let me know if you think he was actually great but um so herod was born in 73 bc and died in 4 bc um his family background starts with his mother obviously gotta have one of those she was a nabataean princess which is an arabic tribe and they're from Petra in southern Jordan. I don't know about you, but Petra is like top five places I want to go see. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. It would. It's yeah. I love it. Um, his father was an Arab diplomat from Edom. They were Edomites and, uh, the Edomites, the Edomites were from the line of Esau, right? Yes. And they had a very complicated history with the Jews and I mean, they were Jewish, but it was, they were kind of like, their name was kind of mud all at the same time. And they weren't considered the best version of it. I guess I, it, it's really complicated and I didn't get into the whole thing, but it's, basically it's like that uh, ethnically Jewish, but not religiously Jewish yes. sort of thing. Yes. Perfect way to put it. Exactly. And that all kind of comes into play because Herod was Jewish, but he wasn't Jewish. Like he was technically Jewish and he tried to be religiously Jewish, but he was never really accepted in Jerusalem as like a, Jew. So I don't know. Take that for what it is. Um, but Herod was, had, he had a very Hellenistic or Greek upbringing as well as a Jewish upbringing. And oh, talk about complicated. Yeah, exactly. So this all comes into play later, but he desired to be, according to grapevine.com, grapevinestudies.com. Herod desired to be seen as a Jew among the Jewish people. However, his Jewish roots were a matter of debate. During the time of the Maccabees, Herod's father's family was forced to convert to Judaism by the Hasmoneans, which we'll talk about them in a minute. Many in Judea and Samaria at the time of Herod's reign did not consider him a true true Jew. Herod kept some of the biblical laws but neglected others. Knowing his subjects still rejected his Jewishness, L. We'll get into what he did with that. Right. I'm going to save that for a minute. So let's talk about the Hasmoneans. Herod's father, his name was Antipater. He was an official under John Hyrcanius II. He was the last of the Hasmonean dynasty. The Hasmoneans, for the sake of time, because, again, I could keep going back and back and back. I will say they were a priestly line. They were um, of the line of David, King David. And they became royalty and the ruling family before Herod in Judea. They did a lot of great things for the land, like expanding territories and even gaining some independence for Judea. But obviously it doesn't last. Um, Rome, when they came in, didn't love the Hasmoneans so much. They loved Herod's dad, who was like, some called him like a prime minister of the Hasmoneans, but we'll see how that plays out in a minute. But they loved him. And Antipater was a good friend of Julius Caesar because he backed him. And Julius Caesar gave him Roman citizenship, titled him the procurator of Judea. Him and his family benefited from this a lot. So back to the Hasmoneans, John Hyrcanius II was betrayed by his brother-in-law, and the brother-in-law, or I'm sorry, John made a deal with Pompey. Pompey, for those of you who don't know, was a statesman and a general for Rome. He was a huge part of Rome going from a republic to an empire. Mm. And we'll talk about him again in a minute. But they made a deal to take back Jerusalem together. And this resulted in John Hyrcanius um, no longer being royalty in Judea, 
but only the high priest. And this was in 63 BC when Rome kind of their first conquering of uh, <clears throat> Jerusalem. So after that, Antipater was made governor of Jerusalem by Rome and his good friend Julius Caesar. And towards the end of his career, he appointed Herod the governor of Galilee in 47 AD when Herod was about 26 years old. So this is kind of the first time Herod steps into the scene and we see him as a powerful political player. Right. There's a story about these rebels in Galilee, which is not unheard of, actually. Galilee was kind of full of rebels. <laughs> um, it's like they wouldn't the whole area is war-torn or something. Yeah, and it's like they just don't want Rome to be in charge. Weird. So they wouldn't pay their taxes, and Rome sent Herod to deal with them. Uh, and he did. He was very efficient and very ruthless. So he like, yeah, he tracked down everybody who uh, was considered a rebel and executed them and got all the money that Rome wanted all at the same time. Isn't he so great? Uh, great. Yeah, great. So you can kind of see right off the bat that he's he's motivated, right? Yeah, he's like, I want that. Gonna have it. Yep, yep. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. Yeah. So then Rome is going to be a big, obviously, a big part in this and a big key player. So I want to kind of set up the history of what's happening in Rome too. Right. Because it matters. So around, like I said, that was around 47 AD. Does 49 AD ring a bell to anybody? I'm not quizzing you because okay, I good. I feel wouldn't have remembered this test. either. <laughs> no. Um, 49 AD is when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. I should have known that. I said I said the same thing. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh duh. I knew that. But, good thing I'm not a history teacher. That'd be embarrassing. <laughs> right. Thank God I'm not a teacher. I have no qualifications, you guys, so. <laughs> Just keep Which is why too. you should listen to her because she actually knows what she's talking about. Yes. Yes. No, I, I love, I do love this stuff and this is one of my favorite areas. So basically when Julius Caesar did this, he started a civil war and the history here and the relationship between Julius Caesar and Pompey who helped the Hasmoneans before, it's all very complicated. So I won't get into it. Just know that this was like, the start of a civil war in Rome. And Julius Caesar, Pompey, and another guy named Crassus, they were part of the first triumvirate. So the three of them together held power and ran Rome. Keep all that in mind for later. So Antipater and Herod. So Antipater is Herod's dad and Herod. They take advantage of Rome being so distracted and insert themselves into power Again, Rome like has bigger problems here. Like, right. They don't really care about what's going on politically in Jerusalem right now. <clears throat> um, so 43 AD, a little bit later, Herod's dad, Antipater, is assassinated. We're not really sure why. And again, Probably because he wasn't a nice guy either. I mean, yeah, I don't think it was because he did anything great himself so yeah 
Um, and again, Herod like inserts himself into his dad's spot because yet again, Rome is dealing with bigger problems. So for anyone who doesn't remember 44 BC, the Ides of March and it's Oh my day. gosh, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Julius Caesar is assassinated. Right. And again, nobody really cares about the political machinations of Harold in Judea because they needed a new ruler. Right. Um, so again, just to understand Rome, this was a mess, of course. And in order to stay on point, I will simply say that Julius Caesar named his named in his will Octavian as the leader. Um, Octavian is his nephew, later named um, Augustus Caesar, but we're just going to stick with Octavian for now. But there was also Mark Antony who tried to take his place, tried to take Julius Caesar's place before Octavian could. And he did that with the help of Lupidius and again, political mess until they came to a second triumvirate. So basically it's Octavian, Mark Antony and Lupidius together sharing power for a minute. Cause these triumvirates always turn out so good. So great <laughs> for all three. <laughs> um, they turned their attention to everyone they deemed an enemy, and it turned into this rampage of mass murder. So everybody who was involved in assassinating Julius Caesar, they went after them. Mark Antony, for example, went after Cicero because Cicero, who was this great orator, statesman, lawyer, he spoke ill of Mark Antony. And Mark Antony went to make a point and chopped off his head and right hand, put them on display like all this kind of stuff is happening in Rome. So again, it's a grotesque mess. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Bit. Yeah. Uh, and eventually they all turn on each other, of course. And all of this affects the territories of Rome. So there is a point to all of this, I promise. Hang with me. So that's 44 to 43 BC. And then in 42... Octavian and Mark Antony are able to confirm Herod as governor. So he kind of slipped in, took his dad's spot. Nobody's really paying attention because right. they have better things to do. And then by 42, they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this territory. Yeah, Herod's our guy. Here you go. And so now he's like officially governor of Jerusalem, Judea. Until. No. <laughs> Until. 40 BC. And these guys called the Parthians invade and they occupied Jerusalem, kicked out Herod, and they took over. Whoa. Yeah. So again, this is all a mess, but we're it's gonna it's gonna all come together. Um the story here is that Antigonus, who was the like last of his line of for the Hasmoneans, he was a prince. He decided he didn't like Herod. He doesn't like Rome. And so he goes to the Parthians with a deal. Now, Parthian is this big um, empire all of themselves to the east. They don't like Rome. Rome doesn't like them. Rome wanted to take over the Parthia in the first triumvirate, but they couldn't do it. And that's how, like, one of the three of those guys died. And, yeah. So, again, a lot of bad blood and history all tied up around the whole yeah. audience. What a surprise. 
Right. I'm I'm so shocked to hear all of this to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a drama that yeah. That, we that think, literally there's still no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, so um Herod's kicked out and what does he do? He runs to Rome for help. Like you do. Like you do. But Rome's impressed because it's like wintertime and he crosses the med to get to Rome and they they hear about his coming before he gets there and they're all like, oh, this guy's this guy's pretty dedicated. I think it's more like he's pretty desperate, but it impressed them nevertheless. Right. So so he tries tries to have himself like reinstated as governor, like help me take this back from Parthia and I, you know, will take over as governor again. And then actually the Senate is all about this, but they're like, let's do one better. How does the, how does the title King of the Jews sound to you? Ah, So it's funny to me because Rome gives him the title King of the Jews before Jesus is born as like, you know, this laurel, if you will, for him being so loyal and coming to them and yada, yada. Um, And of course he's like, yeah, I'll take it. Especially after he spent all of that time trying to get back in with the Jewish people, trying to be religiously Jewish, but never really accepted. It's like, oh, well now I'm just going to conquer you with my Greek friends. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I'm going to bring Rome back because you missed him, right? Right. And you didn't really like the Hasmoneans even. I mean, and some, the thing is that's complicated here, excuse me, <coughs> sorry, is that the Hasmoneans were liked, but they weren't liked. And most of it was because they kind of let Rome in to begin with. It's all complicated. Um, I mean, people, people just are like, Right. You have not everybody's going to be all for this or all for that. And that's kind of how it was with Rome and the Hasmoneans and Parthia and all of it. I I think, spoiler alert, it's safe to say, though, nobody liked Herod when he died. It was they were all like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Right. So I guess they could all agree on that. But that's about that's about it. So Mark Antony whom Herod outright supported, was a big fan of, he goes with Herod and takes his Roman soldiers, and it takes them about two years, but they take back Jerusalem from Parthia. Antigonus is killed in the process, and Herod is now officially king of the Jews, according to Rome. And so this, yeah, this gets him and Mark Antony, like they're buddy buddies, they're good friends now. And Mark Antony knows he always has Herod as a backup, you know, as, as support and vice versa. So yay, warm fuzzies there. Oh, yeah. So warm, so fuzzy. So warm and fuzzy. So at this point, Herod's now established and blessed by Rome. So I can check that off his little to-do list. But as Uncle Ben once told Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. And so now he needs to have the approval of his people. Yeah. It's like awkward. I just conquered you guys again. Do you like me now? Can we be friends now? Are we friends yet? 
No? Okay. No. <laughs> and something to keep in mind is that he might have been king like according to Rome, but the real power here was held by the religious authorities on the Temple Mount. Right. And again, that's kind of why um, him being Jewish but not Jewish enough is right. kind of a big deal. So I don't say that to just like argue semantics. It really played a part in how they felt about Herod and all of that. So he's trying to win them over. And this is where we see more of his character come out, more of who he is and his motivations. So in order to win over the people and the um, priests, basically, he marries a Hasmonean princess, Mariamne. Ah. The only problem is... He's already married. Oh, so. that's awkward. Yeah. We've never seen kings do this. Like, uh -huh. get Solomon. rid of one wife to have another. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his what he does in order to do this is he banishes his first wife. Her name is Doris. And their son, Antipater, whom he named after his dad, just banishes them. Like, eh. Just like, bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Felicia. Um <laughs> I don't have time so for much, you. That's so much worse than like the dad going to get milk and cigarettes. He's sending you to go get milk and cigarettes. Exactly. Don't come back. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so he marries this Hasmonean princess who is quite a bit younger than him. I want to say when he first, some of the stories are that when he first took an interest in her, he was, she was only 13. Oh no. But, I mean, they married. I know it was culturally different, but like Mary was like sixteen or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, I think she she was sixteen when they married, right? But still, he was like interested in her as a youngin, and that's like, <sighs> golly. And normally, I would say that it's it's like a, he saw her as an advantage politically, right. which he did. But I'll but tell you. He's also like, still probably a creep. Yeah, and he's also, so according to all the stories, like madly in love with her. So mm. we'll see more of that in a minute. So anyway, he marries her. His approval ratings go up. So obviously, nobody really cares about Doris and their first one. Doris. No kidding. And but they're like super stoked that he married this Jewish princess. And then his next move in order to, like, make himself more cool is he inserts his new brother-in-law, Aristobulus, as high priest. And so he would also be Hasmonean royalty. He's a Hasmonean prince. And the position of the high priest at this time was more of a political move in general, like not just done by Herod, but anybody who was made high priest or in the priesthood. It was more political and more of a gift so the place was no longer held by descendants of Aaron it was just kind of whoever they wanted to give props to or whatever right and Aristobulus was a big hit he was it wasn't just that Herod got more popular because of that or liked better because of that but like Aristobulus was the new cool kid in town his approval ratings are going through the roof, and Herod's just like, meh, 
you know, like he's being invited to all the after parties and Herod's just kind of like, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> so we start to see Herod get a bit jealous. Yeah. And like two years later, 35 BC-ish, Herod was established again and Aristobulus was named high priestess and Herod throws this lavish pool party at his house in Jericho. Now, what I found out, which I find so funny, is that Jericho was like, I don't know, St. Bart's for celebrities. Like, it's where all oh the gosh. cool kids went to party. <laughs> like, like, legit a pool party. He just had one of those Greek yeah. baths. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> I should have included a picture because you can still see the foundation of this pool for the pool party there in Jericho. Oh my gosh. But of course I didn't. But anyway, um, throws this huge pool party. The party is loud and crazy. Uh, and it wasn't until the next morning that Aristobulus was found dead in the pool. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, dang. Yeah. So the question, of course, maybe not so much a question, but did Herod have him assassinated? No one can really point to him and say that he did it but most historians at least believe that he definitely coordinated this party so this accident would happen at the party oh, so he he's like the ancient clintons <laughs> like people come to his pool party and end up dead his body count isn't quite as high but it's still pretty i don't know he had all decent. the babies killed oh if you yeah bef- i guess i should have said like before that <laughs> Yeah, before no, that. He's got the Clintons beat, I think, by far. After yeah, I that. like what Base Babe says. This is giving great Gatsby vibes for sure. <gasps> yeah. That's a good point. I should have I should have included that. Sorry. I am I love that. Thirsty. Yeah. No. Get some water. Or a green drink or whatever that is. Or, yeah. I don't know. No. Just water. Okay. <laughs> I thought the green was a liquid. It's just the color of your container. I wish I was that cool. <laughs> I'm I'm here with my microwaved North Arrow coffee. Insert yes! plug for North Arrow coffee here. North Arrow. Uh, that's we haven't talked about them in a minute. That's such good coffee. And microwaving it at seven at night. What else are you gonna do? I don't know. They just came out with a candy cane blend, which I am so oh. excited to get because peppermint coffee is my fave. Mm-hmm. So I am so excited for it. Oh, I can't wait. If anybody wants to know what to get me for Christmas. Right. If anybody wants to know what to get me for Christmas, go to North Arrow. Use code Quirks to get 10% yeah. off. Also, go to QuirksofCreation.com. Get yourself a laminate t-shirt. Ah, in. such a good one. And you can use code Quirks to get 20% off there while you're still finishing up your Christmas shopping. So. Whoop, whoop. See, we've got you covered. All of your, you know, last minute gift giving ideas. You can't go wrong with coffee and a shirt. There you go. Just saying. There you go. All right. So, bro in law is gone. Mr. Popular is now out of the picture. And, like, did Herod kill him? Did he not? Yeah, again? he totally did. Pretty sure he did. So, this is the start of like Herod's paranoia. And we kind of get this feeling already, <laughs> but now we, the stories start to get crazier. Right. So it's said that Herod loved his wife, like I said, 
Miriam a lot. Like he was crazy about her. She's she's just not feeling it. <laughs> Weird. Can't imagine why. Yeah. I mean, Herod was the reason for her grandfather, Antigonus. That was the guy who invited the Parthians to the party. Uh, Herod's the reason he died, even if Herod didn't do it himself. Right. And then her brother conveniently dies at her hubby's pool party. So he might have been crazy about her, but it said that she loathed him. I, I can't, can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I can't. It's crazy. Weird. Um, but it's also said that he was extremely jealous and paranoid about their relationship. Because it's been so healthy from oh, the start. He's the he's the crazy girlfriend, except the crazy <laughs> husband with yeah. the eyes, and is like, "Where were you yesterday at four o'clock?" Pretty much. Pretty. Much. Why aren't you home yet? Why? Oh my god. Yeah. That's pretty much. My it. sundial says you should have been home forty seconds ago. That's awesome. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think that girl's going anywhere by herself. Anyway. Yeah. But, probably not. Yeah. Um, but it was said that he was so extreme that when he would leave for battle, he would leave instructions to have her killed if he died and didn't come home. So then there's, then there's Um, that. Yeah. Like if I can't be with her, nobody can. What a dick. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Who says that about their spouse? Like, listen, honey, if something happens to me. You're going to die. Yeah. Listen, if I don't come back, you ain't living anymore either. So just prepare yourself. Pray that I come home. I don't know. It just. Ah. What crazy. an absolute trash bag. Yeah, pretty much. Um, oh, <laughs> I wasn't going to include this story, but it just. I, I like this story, so I'm going to anyway. Do it. So alongside the death of her brother. Um, Herod's mother-in-law, Alexandra, felt that – I mean, she strongly felt that Herod killed her son. And so yeah. she calls up her good friend, Cleopatra. Like, yes, the Cleopatra. <laughs> this is like, I'm going to send my pigeon or my right. African swallow carrying a coconut with my message in it. Exactly. Here you go. <sighs> now, okay, I don't know if anybody remembers – Cleopatra and Mark Antony had this famous love affair. Who doesn't remember that, right? Um, and yes, this is all relevant. So Mark Antony and Herod are buddies. Cleopatra and Mark Antony are more than buddies. And Cleopatra knew this about um, Mark Antony and Herod, that they were friends. So she gives her lover this ultimatum. She's like, either you can kill your best friend and in doing so, you will satiate the rage of my best friend and you will also get to keep me in the deal or give me back the land of Jericho because at one point in history, Jericho did belong to Egypt and we can continue this love fest we got going on. So Mark Antony picks the lesser of two evils maybe yeah, and gives her Jericho and she in turn leases it back to Herod because that's the favorite party spot, right? <laughs> she leases it back to him for a huge sum of money every year. I want to say like half of the money he brought in. 
she charged him for Jericho. Cleopatra is the reason the taxes were so high on the Jewish people in that time. Right. That's that all her bitch. fault. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. She she is a character all We have in to and do an episode. We yeah. have to. I mean, the way she, like, um, seduced Mark Antony and just all of her machinations in and of themselves were just diabolical and, again, wonderful, but in a, like, right. I'm glad I wasn't living Anywhere during near that time. Face, like. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm glad I wasn't around you. Uh, it's also said that she would come and visit because she owned Jericho. And she would just humiliate Herod every chance she got. I mean, he kind of deserves it. but <laughs> I mean, still. yeah. But still, I mean, she like rubbed his nose in it hardcore that she was like, this is mine now. And you have it because of me. Right. <laughs> I like what answered Sater says. Did you know that politicians don't actually make that much money? Yeah, that's why they got to steal it. I mean, they were doing that in ancient times anyway. So yeah, there you history go. or story as old as time. Literally. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. So I say all of these stories because they are documented stories that, again, just kind of show who he was. But we'll get into that more. So back to more history. A few years after this, it's 32 BC, there's a revolt in Nabatea. That was his mother's place of origin. And Herod goes to squash this, but he doesn't have the help he needs from Rome because guess what? <laughs> There's more fighting and civil war breaks out again. I'm shocked. I know. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? These people can't keep it together. They legit cannot. Yeah. So there's the triumph, the second triumvirate. Right. Lepidus is the like third guy in the thing that nobody cares or knows much about, and he's already gone by now. So it's just Octavian and Mark Antony, and they're trying to subtly gain power yet still work together, but not again, it's messy. Um, Octavian has been in Rome just talking crap about Mark Antony, who left Octavian's sister, gossip, to be with Cleopatra. And so Octavian's just spewing all this talk about how Mark Antony is bewitched. He isn't even Roman anymore. He's basically an Egyptian <laughs> prostitute. All of this going on and on. Like, I'm not kidding. I, I'm here for the ancient gossip. You know, yeah. it's like people are on about Taylor Swift and whatever her current boy toy is. I'm right. here for the ancient gossip. Exactly. So like if people had a magazine in ancient times, this would be headline news. Right. Um, but all of this goes on and this leads to the battle of Actium. And again, to save time, basically Octavian leads a naval battle against Cleopatra and Mark Antony. Octavian is victorious and Mark and Mark Antony and Cleopatra kill themselves rather than face the consequences. Something I didn't think about like hearing, cause everybody kind of knows that they committed suicide together is that she had four children. That she just left behind. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You never think of that. No. And they weren't old enough to like really be on their own. She had one. Her her oldest was from Julius Caesar. And then she had three with Mark Antony. And again, more more of her story that we could talk about another time. But oh my gosh, we could like do a whole series of episodes just on Cleopatra. 
Oh my gosh. Chick is insane. But what does all of this have to do with Herod? He basically, had he not been held up by the revolt in Nabatea, he would have joined forces with Mark Antony. He was already a vocal supporter of him, but it's never good. It's never a good move politically to be a supporter of the losing side, especially when it's like treason and civil war and things like that. So, so when word catches up with him and he knows which way the wind is blowing, he takes off for Rome again. Again. <laughs> again. This time to suck up to Octavian and hopefully, hopefully like keep his job and his head. So he went from being like the Clintons to being like Joe Biden, who's exactly. just going to do whatever so he doesn't get Clinton. Yep, pretty much. And then he'll go back to being a Clinton again. But right. he's got to make sure he can survive this first. What a trash bag. I know. This guy is like very motivated. Not, Not in a good way. In best sense, yeah. So once he gets to Rome, he gives this grand speech, like gets down on his knees, grovels to Octavian, tells him how loyal he was. Like, you know, I know, I know I was loyal to Mark Antony, but I'm now loyal to you and I will be the best, most loyal supporter you've ever had. And just love me and let me keep my job. I'll love you forever. Blah, blah, blah. Pathetic. Literally pathetic. It was pathetic. And before all of this, Octavian was not a fan of Herod. As a matter of fact, they like they just didn't jive and he wanted somebody else in power. But in a crazy turn of events, Octavian is very magnanimous in his forgiveness and then accept and his like acceptance of Herod. He's like, yeah, it's cool, bro. We're fine. We're fine. All good. You you keep doing your thing. I'll keep doing my thing. That feels weird and suspicious. Right. Weird. Um So it seems that Herod was able to talk his way into keeping this coveted position that he had. I think it's the fact, and I could be wrong, but I think it's the fact that he brought with him 700 talents of silver that probably helped him too. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. There's that. There's that. So for reference, one talent was the equivalent of 129 pounds. One talent. He brought 700 talents. 129 pounds being like $129? No. Like uh, weight-wise. Oh, just like talent. Whoa. Yeah. A talent of whatever was the equivalent of 129 pounds of flour or something. You know what I mean? Like weight to weight ratio. Okay. I don't know what, I don't know monetarily. Okay. No, like I'm getting there. Because silver, so that's a talent of silver. Yeah. So that'd be basically 129 pounds of silver. Yeah. 129 pounds times 700. Oh my gosh. Of silver. Of silver. (laughs) Of silver. For context, silver is very expensive on the gram scale. Yeah. 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 Whoa. That's a lot. That's That's not pocket change. No, that was like, where did he come up with all this money? <laughs> Whoa, bro. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a f- lot of freaking silver. And Octavian at this time was broke. Like this whole war 
and everything he had going on, he was pretty much bankrupt. Like, right. Dude was pretty desperate. So I think that probably swayed him a bit to keep Herod around. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, after this, after the Battle of Actium, this gave us the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. So for 250 years, there was peace in Rome. Not really, but really what it means is there was no more civil war. So Herod no longer has to sit in Jerusalem and kind of watch the politics of Rome and be like, how is this going to affect me? What does this mean for me and my job? And so that kind of, he got to like, okay, I think everything's good there. I can go back and, and just do my thing. Right. Um, after this, now Herod doesn't have to focus on Rome. He's kind of focusing back on the, the people and keeping his people happy. Because you can rule with an iron fist. But I think he knew and we all know you get a lot further um, not doing that. Right. Like you attract more flies with honey. Is that the phrase? When yeah, you attract. Kind of thing? That's it. Yeah. So after this, Herod then begins to grow suspicious of his wife, Mariamne, or Miriam. That's pronounced both ways. He believed she was having an affair. And so she was put on trial. And in 29 BC, she was executed. Josephus says that she was um, standing and during her trial and during her execution, she had this calm equanimity about her. Like he was very, he praised her for her calmness and her demeanor during all of this. She was, I think, 25 at the time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like whether she knew she didn't do anything wrong or she was just like, I would rather die than put up with him for one more Honestly, day. Honestly, he got his child bride and then killed her when she basically wasn't a child anymore. Yeah. What? Yeah. A trash bag. What a trash bag. Exactly. Uh, and I won't go into like all the wives and everything, but he had 10 wives. He had 10 Real wives in total. Solomon, but still. I know. Great. 10 wives. And I, I want to say 15 children, but nobody really kept track of the girls. So it could have been more. Nobody ever does. I know. I know. <laughs> to their detriment. But anyway, there's. Okay, remind me during the chat. I'll save it for the chat. Okay. Remind me of like the rumors of what happened to Mariamne's body. Just remind Ooh. me. We'll talk about it in the chat. Ooh, yeah. okay. I'll save that. Um, uh, w just real quick because yeah. Space Babe was doing the numbers for us. Oh man, this is how much silver it would be today. Fourteen million dollars, and then lots of extra numbers. Right. 14 and million change. and change <laughs> change air quotes right that's <laughs> a lot of silver to buy your forgiveness yeah buy your forgiveness keep your keep your job Whew. he was like i said dedicated motivated 
something. I don't know. Right. Uh, so, but killing off Mariamne was not the end of it. Um, his mother-in-law, again, Alexandra, retaliated and conspired against Herod because who wouldn't? Right. Um, and he had her put to death without a trial. And then in 28 BC, Kostabar, who was Mariamne's other brother, was also accused of conspiring against him and probably was. And he was then executed. So how is he earning himself favors with the Jews again? I don't, I think he gave up at this point. He's like, okay. you know what? Can't make these people happy. So I'm just going to kill Screw them. it. Yeah. So I'll get rid of the Hasmonean dynasty and then they won't have anybody but me. And I won't have to worry about them either. I, I don't know that that's really right. like the thought, but I mean, suspicion. it feels like it. I mean, it feels true. Uh, yeah, so like I said, he can't really please the Jews, but he also wants to find a way to leave behind some sort of like legacy. Right. And at this time, there's really only one of two ways to do that. You can either get glory through battle, war. Right. But he didn't really have a lot of that to, you know, like have his name be remembered for that way. So he chooses to build instead. Mm. And – Honestly, he is a brilliant architect, and some of the things he created are, I'd say everything that he created is gorgeous and brilliant. But let's take a look at some of them. So first up, what do we got? Nope, that's the wrong wrong one. Here we go. Yay. So this is Masada. And this is located... Uh, near the Dead Sea, as you can see, on top of a plateau. And on top of the plateau, you find, like, the buildings. There were storage rooms and a synagogue. And along the edges, Herod built cisterns and this just, like, ingenious rain-gathering system to fill the cisterns. And then down the cliff face, there are two additional porticos, and they appear to be coming out of the cliff themselves. So this, it's just, oh, it, wow. it would have it been gorgeous yeah. in its time. Masada is also um, something that Josephus described wow. quite a bit. And that was one of the things that like helped make Josephus. We talked about this a little bit in that episode, but it kind of helped reaffirm the validity of his writings with his description of Masada and then what was found archaeologically. So this is this is that. Just to give our audio listeners oh, please, some context, yes. it almost looks like a city unto itself, but this was like a single palace, right? Essentially? Yeah, essentially. It was like one of his cool places to go hang out. I mean, again, he had the synagogue and he had the bathing temple so that they could all... The bathing temples where they had the, the pool parties. Right, yeah. Or uh, not bathing temple, but the, like the bathing areas for them right. to clean according to Jewish custom and so on and so forth. So he I mean, thought of all, all of it for this place. is the foundation, but yeah. you can imagine that in its time it was very beautiful because for the foundation to still be standing all of these years later – is very impressive. Extremely. Yeah. And the fortifications, like just the 
building it on top of that plateau like that. Oh my gosh. It would have been damn near impenetrable. That's a fair point. Yeah. To to fight your way up there, basically it ain't going to happen. I don't know what happened necessarily. I don't remember right off the top of my head exactly what happened with Masada, but I know there was a battle there. Couldn't have been an easy battle. No, no, definitely not. Um, He had another one like this. That was the. Whoa. Yes. This one's insane as well. So the Herodium palace was built on top of a hill and rising out of the hill was a circular palace. So this one was more for him and obviously named it after himself because he's so cool. This is like a artist rendition of what it would have looked like. So city on a hill. (laughs) City on a pyramid. I mean, really, because look at that. It's clear you can go inside the hill. It's a type of pyramid. Exactly. I don't, I, there, I had a picture, but I don't think I put it on here. There, nope, I didn't. So this picture, you can kind of see at the top of the hill inside to like the city that was inside of this hill. It and almost then, looks like a volcano. That's yeah. how well you can see inside. You're right. That's a, that's a great description, actually. It's like if there was a volcano you could live inside of, but it would have had the palace on top of that for more protection. So right. again, he was just kind of brilliant in creating all these things. I'm not trying to give this guy like, no, no, he's cool. He's cool. But because he wasn't. Right. But he did have a great mind um, strategically and obviously architecturally, so on and so forth. Another one that he built was, I'm going to go to this one. This is the an artist rendition of Caesarea Maritima. So a lot of places were named like Caesarea to be like, oh, Caesar, he's so great. This is no exception. Right. But with this one, it was a harbor that he had built. And the cool thing about it was that he had found a way to make concrete underwater that would get stronger underwater and hold up. And just it was its own. Let's see. A breakwater. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Just a breakwater for the water itself. So first self-cleaning seaport ever built. Ah. And this is what it looks like today. Yeah. This was actually, some people said this one should have been one of the seven wonders of the world. Yeah. But again, because it was more, which we saw with the seven wonders, but it was more uh, practical. Right. And it was beautiful. I mean, it's still gorgeous. Even... I was fixing to say it's still beautiful, but. Yeah. But this harbor, it you know, you can still see it, obviously, today. And most of it is underwater right. now. But these were some of the things he had built. I didn't go into all of them, but these were the big ones. The best one, I would say, and I did forget to get pictures of this, but. um. He actually refurbished <laughs> and he like re um, redid the Temple Mount. Uh, so <clears throat> he didn't create he didn't create the second temple, mm-hmm. but he took what was there of the second temple and he just kind of cleaned it up. 
he cleaned it up. He made it this lavish, beautiful, absolutely gorgeous temple that we can still kind of see today. And again, if you go to the Israel Museum, they have a beautiful, um, you can go to their website and they can see this beautiful, um, wow. scale I was going to say reenactment. Yes. Thank you. Scale model of what the second temple would have looked like in Jesus's time, Herod's time. He did that. I think it was more for himself, not because he necessarily, I mean, I think it, it helped both ways, like politically and with the Jewish people. He was like, look what I did for you. The Hasmoneans didn't even do this for you. Look what I did for you. But at the same time, he's also building pagan places in other areas. So it's not like he was that devout. (laughs) It's not for God. It's because he's treating himself as a God. And I mean, he named that very beautiful palace after himself. And it's like, well, right. We know yeah. who you actually worship in this. We case. know who you are. Yes, exactly. So those were some of the great things that he did. At least he did like 2% good. Like right. we can say there was something he's good. 98% a douche canoe, 2% yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. At least he made the Temple Mount huge and beautiful. I don't know. But a lot, I mean, whatever his intentions were, it still happened. It was still there. And right. So that was about 10 BC once that was like they cut the ribbon, Temple Mount's done. Look how beautiful it is. And after that's when we see him really spiral. So Towards the end of his life, Herod died around 4 BC, some say 3, some say 2. It depends on who you talk to. But 8 BC, Herod accuses his sons of high treason. So this, their names were Alexander and Aristobulus. Aristobulus. Oh, my goodness. He no, accused I can't say to it. his own sons of treason. Yeah. So his favorite wife, his most beautiful, beloved wife that he had executed. He then accuses her two boys of uh, high treason and has them executed. Oh my gosh. Dude doesn't care about a legacy. He just uh, cares about himself. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Don't want these guys around anymore. And so they're gone. And then, so some sources say that at some point he went and got back his first wife. And brought her back into the fold and brought her and her son back into the fold. Doris, right. Doris, yeah. And others are like, no, but he did track down and find his first son and also had him assassinated or killed. Bro, Um, this is not what you're supposed to do with your kids. No. Like, first, I'm going to abandon you at pretty much at six years old. And then I'm going to have my men find you and kill you for treason because reasons honestly just like understanding the context of what's happening here because he didn't actually worship god it makes me wonder if it's like a pagan sort of ritual maybe he's not thinking about it that way but in this desire to retain his own power power he's sacrificing his children yeah to maintain power and do we not see this today as people kill their own children in the womb 
So for what, right? So they can keep their jobs or whatever. Exactly. And yeah, nobody really knows his motivations, obviously. But it does it does make you wonder what connections are there between that then and this today. Or if he was just crazy. Or if that's an excuse. I don't know. But yeah, apparently Antipater, the, his first son with his first wife, committed treason as well. Everybody's got tre- – everybody's treasonous everywhere. Like, <sighs> get rid of them. Really? I also found this like side note about him going after the Pharisees, and I didn't have time to really look into that. But apparently, he was going after them too. I'm shocked. I don't know. Yeah, shocked. And then that's basically it. So he has this like miserable death. Like it's it's long and terrible, agonizing. Blah blah blah. And at this point, he's just universally disliked. Like, nobody likes this dude. They were kind of like, eh, iffy, maybe, before. But now it's like, no. Play games, win prizes, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, you need to go. You need to go. So he knew this also. Like, he wasn't um, immune to how people felt about him. And so... <laughs> Towards the end, he arrested these young men for vandalism. They had torn a Roman eagle off of the temple because it was a pagan symbol. Right. And they tore it off of the temple and he had them um, jailed for it. And his thing was, when I die that day, I want them executed. Like, they will be executed the same day I die. You guys are all going to cry. You Nobody's going to cry when I die. I'll give you a reason to cry <laughs> on the day I die. Like, he's just... Like, I know you're all going to celebrate. Well, not now. <laughs> but who's going to listen to that order after he's dead? Right. What's he going to do? Right. Yeah. Right. How's he going to? Well, yeah. And good point because they didn't. Nobody <laughs> listened to him. After he died, they're like, yeah, you guys are free to go. Sorry. L O L. Don't sue us. See you later. Really? <laughs> <laughs> So you've seen The Office, right? Yeah. That's like that episode where Michael Scott has the pizza delivered and it's from the pizza place nobody likes. So he takes the pizza delivery guy hostage because he won't take the coupon. Yep. You're free to go. You're free to go. Don't. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, Michael Scott. That's exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. They're like. He's gone now, so you can just scoot, scoot, get on out of here. Uh, um, what a crazy life. What a crazy life. And so I am going to follow up really quickly just so, just to follow this through. Right. With his lineage. So Did like any I said, of his kids survive? Yes. Okay. So he had 10 wives, but really everybody's only concerned with the first five because they're the ones who gave him children. The other five didn't. And so there was the first wife, Doris, and they had Antipater. And that's the first one or the third one that he mm-hmm. annihilated. And then Mariamne, they had Alexander and Ar- Aristobulus, and they were both killed for treason. And then he married 
Mariamne the second. No relation, just the same oh. name. Okay. Yeah, I know. And they had Herod Philip the first mm. because he also had another son named Herod Philip the second. Like they were brothers. I don't know who does that, but he did. So whatever. This kid, Herod Philip the first, just kind of disappeared. Oh, okay. I mean, not like he was killed. He was just like, right. I am out of this craziness. Yeah, I don't blame him. It's yeah, like I'm I done. just saw three of my siblings get executed for treason. I'm out of here. I'd probably uh I'd probably disappear too. Yeah. Not gonna lie. And uh Malface was the third wife. She had it's, Herod. Go ahead. Excuse me. I know. I think I'm saying that right. I could be. I could be butchering it. Malface. M A L T H A C E. Face. face. I heard face. Yeah. face. Oh. <laughs> oh, that'd be even worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she had two sons. So there was Herod Archelaus and then Herod Antip- Antipas. Herod Archelaus was the one who took over after his dad, so after Herod the Great died, and he was so terrible, Rome sacked him in 6 AD. Like They're like, dude, you're worse than your dad. You're out of here. You get out of here. And then the second of her sons, Herod Antipas, was the one who stole his brother's wife, and John the Baptist was executed for calling him out on it. Hmm. And he was also the Herod who was at Jesus's trial. Okay. Yeah. So that Herod. That's good to know because I think I got confused and thought they were all the same Herod. How could you not? Right. How could you not? Dude names all of his sons after himself. What does he expect? I don't know. So no. So his son was the one who was involved with John the Baptist and Jesus's trial when he was crucified. So I'm shocked that's not the son that was executed for treason. I know. I know. I don't know how they, I, I don't know how they escaped this. You know, right. Maybe he just didn't have time to kill them all off basically before he, before he died, before his own demise. I don't know. His last wife, her name, get this, was Cleopatra. No relation. <laughs> I know. He couldn't stand the OG Cleopatra. But he'll marry another girl named Cleopatra. I don't know. And it- They're so creative with names back then. I say that, but then you got like Cheddar Lemur and everything. But <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Then you have 15 Herods. So I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like- I know. Were they? Or was he getting lazy? Or he's like, I don't know. I keep, I keep having all these kids. Just keep giving them my name. It's fine. I'm going to kill will- them all later anyway. Yeah. None of them are going to make it. So it's fine. But Cleopatra is the one who had Herod, Herod Philip II, and that's the guy who was married to the man that his other brother took. It caused the whole thing with John the Baptist. So there's all of that. And then one more quick thing, because wait, there's more. <laughs> there was Herod Agrippa, who was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was Mariamne I. Her, it would have been her son's son. Okay. And he was the one in Acts 12 who was described to have been eaten by worms. Whoa. Which Josephus Josephus also described and that, that whole crazy story. And then Agrippa II 
Paul went before him at the end of Acts when he was in jail. And he was the one who's like, I would have let you go, but you went to Caesar for, or you like whined to Caesar first and not me. So I'm going right. to, I'm not going to let you go. Um, so that's the Herodian line and all their oh. messed up-ness. I would love to have a comparison chart of the Herods and the Tudors yeah. and see who comes out worse. More messed up. Right. Dude, I, I don't even know. I don't know. It might be the Tudors only because we have more on them. That's fair. But in reality, that might not hold up. The Tudors didn't have all of the male Jewish kids killed. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's a. it would be a... It'd be interesting. close. It'd be close. It'd be close. Oh. All of this. Go ahead. I was just going to say, as Metalcore Morticia says, that was the real legacy. He wanted his name for generations, literally. So you can't actually tell the difference. Right. He's like, actually, I lived forever because my name lived on forever. Right. We're all the same. We're all the same. I had some final thoughts that I wrote down on paper. And now I, I can't it. find it on my paper. I, I just still love it that you take all of your notes on paper. It's such a lost art. I try and convince my students to write things on paper. They look at me like I'm a psychopath. I'm like, listen, you have to connect the muscle memory to the development of your neural connections so you actually know the thing instead of just typing it because typing doesn't give you that same muscle memory connection. Thank you. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you. Yes. I don't know. There's something about... Even when I was in college and it was getting really popular to bring, you know, back in those days, um, and it was getting really popular to bring laptops into, I was like, I just can't do it. I, I can't. Either. Yeah. I can't do it. So thanks for putting up with me, guys. <laughs> but what I want to like round this off with, because I promise I'm done telling you stories about Herod and his awfulness. But one People will argue, I think mainstream will argue like, well, Herod didn't really kill all those babies in Bethlehem after Jesus. It's not written down anywhere except the Gospel of Matthew. And Josephus didn't even write it down. One, I love that Josephus is considered gospel to historians when it's convenient for them. Because on the one hand, they'll be like, well, he didn't write it down, so it didn't happen. And two, also take him with a grain of salt because... He, you know, he embellished things. He was not just a historian, but he was also a writer who wanted to entertain people. And was he writing for Rome or was he writing for the Jews? We don't know. So you kind of have to not always take him at his word unless it fits our narrative. Then you can. Right. And then also with all of this, you know, I'm not here to point out the truth in it or not, but Matthew was meticulous in writing out the history like he was so detailed right and take that into account i think as well but the real thing here for me is that the new testament starts with two kings right, right. two kings of the jews so you have herod who is appointed by rome to be the king of the jews and then you have jesus who was appointed by god to be the king of the jews king of kings right and I think 
we've said this a million times. God is so cheeky with what he does because it's like, here's Herod. Like everything you shouldn't be, shouldn't do. This is not an example of a ruler. And then you have my son who is what we all aspire to be, more of him, less of me kind of attitude, who is, again, just that complete opposite and really shows us what love looks like, what God looks like. And I just think it's so clever how God's like, here's what not to do. Here's what you should do. (laughs) Follow this one. (laughs) Here's my son. He's good stuff. Um, You know, Herod was like all about the external show. Public opinion was really concerned with how he was perceived. That, That all led to his paranoia and his fear and his jealousy. He had a very might makes right kind of attitude. And then he was motivated again by this fear and paranoia. And then we have Jesus who comes and he couldn't have had more of an external humility than being born in a manger with the only thing to really announce that he's there is the star. And then you, I don't know, the humility in Jesus and just this serene confidence that's motivated by faith rather than fear and paranoia. And so again, just the juxtaposition of these two, I think is what's really cool to kind of think about when we think about this story as well. Not just all the terribleness that was Herod, but right. how it points to how wonderful God was, is in the form of Jesus at that time, you know? Yeah. I think it's important to remember that technically we, while we think about the Christmas season, we are in the time of Advent. So we are in this moment of great expectation. And that time for the Jewish people of great expectation was very hard and very painful. I mean, look at who they had as their air quotes king. You know, I can't imagine how painfully they awaited him and how often they said, Lord, please send us your Messiah. We are suffering. We are in pain. We are being led down the wrong path by this psychopath. Please help us. Yeah. And how often do we as Christians say that now as we look at our political leaders and say, Lord Jesus, come back soon. Right, right, right. We're excitedly waiting. Right. (laughs) For your return. Yes. And so I I think it was really good that you picked this because just the, like you said, the juxtaposition of the two kings and of the two waiting periods between then and between now, I think is very momentous for the time and probably why we were able to stream at the very beginning because it's an important message to recognize we are anticipably and we are anticipating the coming of the Savior once again. In a time filled with strife, in a time of darkness. But remember, Christ came once right. in that time of darkness. He's coming again. He's coming again. He promised, and we saw that he fulfills his promises. Quite literally, so, down to the letter. Yeah, exactly. So hold on to hope. And I hope this all I hope this just kind of again brought some more enrichment to this story. Maybe something to talk about at Christmas time. Also, I love ancient or not. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, I was really pulled in by that too. I was just like, this is this is all just so crazy. Right. Worst case scenario, we have a crazy story to tell you tonight about ancient Roman gossip. So <laughs> if nothing else. Uh but yeah, I 
do you have any other thoughts before we head over to the rumble chat? And I tell you guys this really, really crazy rumor about yes. King Herod. I want to hear the crazy rumor. One thing right. I want to talk about real quick, cause I thought yes. about it and I wanted to mention it, but this could be a good place to talk about it. All of the different structures we saw that Herod constructed to preserve his legacy were so yeah. beautiful and so, so gorgeous. And I just wonder why people don't do that now. Um, mm. I feel like perhaps we're pursuing our legacy through like TikTok fame or like whatever the thing is and missing out on creating genuinely beautiful things that actually last because even thousands of years later, people see the foundations of that structure and know that it was once a marvelous work and can connect it to the person who designed it. And so while those five minutes of internet fame will pass away, Mm-hmm. Like real monuments like that do last generations. And I don't know. That was just an, a thought I had while we were talking about that. <clears throat> I like that thought because I do think it speaks to us where we are today culturally. Because I th- I think part of it too is the work that goes into that. Yeah. And we don't, one, we don't really appreciate trades as much as we used to. You know, everybody kind of wants... The wait, who doesn't? But you want to have like the most amount of money for the least amount of work kind of attitude. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that can't be done or that that's shameful or anything like that. Because hey, work harder, not work smarter, not harder. Sure. Yeah. But I think it's a a lost art, like to be able to creatively think that way, to build that way. Not that there aren't people out there who can do it, but. I don't know why it's not appreciated as much. And maybe um, leaving a legacy, like politically, leaving a legacy is easier now with war and (laughs) stuff like that. So I don't know. But I think that's a great point you brought up. That was my only last thought. We'll have more gossip to talk about. Uh-huh. All right. See you all in a few minutes.